Christmas 2017, God became a man, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. If you would, please stand for reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard of it marvel at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Now our Christmas series, we've done like four talks on Christmas, uh, culminates in God becoming a man, the birth of Christ. We discussed the promised Messiah. This promise originated in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When it was first mentioned that Jesus would crush the head of the serpent, would crush the head of Satan. We also discussed Zechariah the priest and his great privilege of offering incense at the altar of incense and what a big deal that was for him. There was 18 to 20,000 priests in Israel. This was a once in a lifetime thing, if that often. And that was his big moment of offering incense. But something even greater happened because as he's offering incense in the holy place before the before the, the, the Holy of Holies of God, an angel appears to him, Gabriel, on the right hand. And he's just standing here, this is the altar of incense, and boom, an angel appears to him. That had to be a startling moment for him. But that angel had good news for Zacharias because he said, you are going to have a son, his name is going to be John, and he is going to be the forerunner of Jesus. He's going to be the, the one who lights the way for Jesus. The light of the world is coming in, and John would be the one that introduced him to the world. Then we talked about the wise men who followed a star, a celestial miracle, that they started in Iraq or Persia or someplace in that area, and they followed this majestic star all the way to Jerusalem. They run into Herod, and the star reappears, takes them to the very house in Bethlehem where Jesus is, and they visit Jesus in Bethlehem. You have to ask yourself, how did the wise men know to follow the star? How did they know about one who would be born hundreds of years later and why they would want to find this person? 
Well, remember we did our study in Daniel, and in Daniel there, were, there was a, a statue that was made of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar called the wise men of Babylon to interpret a dream, to say what this statue was. None of them could do it, so their lives were in jeopardy. All of them were going to be killed, and then Daniel comes to the forefront as the wise men of the wise men. He interprets the dream, and then he saves the wise men's life. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, there is, another, there is a fourth vision that Daniel has. In the fourth vision, it is one of a king that would be coming. This king would have an eternal kingdom. And these wise men knew about this prophecy. And that star in the sky directed them to find this king who would be born one day. So there's 400 years of silence from Malachi to the New Testament. 400 years of darkness. 400 years of no prophet in Israel. No prophet speaking to the people. It seemed that God was silent, but he was not. He was working behind the scenes. He uses a Roman Caesar to accomplish his task of getting this, this couple, Mary and Joseph, from, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. It's a 70-mile trek. At the right time, at the perfect time, at God's time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, it says in Galatians 4.4. 4. At the perfect time, the perfect time as we've gone over this many times in the past, Alexander the Great came to power, and with his power, his, his kingdom spread very quickly and very wide. And he developed a language, the Koine Greek, that encompassed the whole kingdom, the whole known world at that time. So there's a common language. Rome came to power and built a road system which facilitated transportation. And then Rome was, was occupying force in Israel, and the Jews hated it, and they wanted deliverance. So the time was perfect. At the perfect time, God sent his son. Now, I want you to think about this. Before I go any farther, I want you to remember something. This baby that we're worshiping in the manger, this one that, that the angels were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. This one that the whole heavens break forth in, in, in majestic harmony existed from eternity past. He was not born on that day. He is God incarnate. He is the second person of the Trinity. He, and he became a mere man. He became one like us. And you may ask, why would God come to earth and become one like us? Fallen, pitiful man. And the answer is simple. And it's found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God came for us because he loved us. What a wonderful God. He delivered us from our impossible situation of, of, of being sinners. And that's simply by believing that Jesus died in our place and receiving the gift of salvation, we could be saved. He corrected what Adam lost when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. This week, our Christmas story continues with God becomes a man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would take what is spoken today and put it in the hearts and minds of each person here. Lord, this is a great story about Jesus coming to earth to become one of us and experiencing everything here just like us. We have a God that knows what it's like to be here. Thank you for the birth of the Lord Jesus, but more than that, thank you for his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, because that's where our hope really is. Open our eyes to the truth of this story today. In Jesus' name, amen.
So again, before we get started, I want everyone to understand that God coming to earth was in place in eternity past. This is not God responding to man saying, oh no, I hope that Adam doesn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, there was a tree, there was a prohibition. One, one prohibition. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2.17. In the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And you know what Adam and Eve did? They ate of the fruit. They acted independent of God. They acted independent of God, and the consequences was that was a death curse passed upon all mankind. God was not biting his nails, hoping that they would not do this. He knew that, we, that, it, that they would. They had one command. They disobeyed the, the command. Remember, our God is eternal. Our God is infinite. Our God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is all over. There's no place that you can go in all of everything that God is not there. And he knows the beginning from the end. And God sent his son to this earth so that whoever believes in him could live eternally with him. That's the message. God sent his son to earth to deal with the rebellion that man had in the Garden of Eden. Man's decision to live independent of God. He came to redeem man. and to Redeem simply means to buy back, pay the purchase price for man. He bought back what Adam lost by sinning. And Jesus became a sinless sacrifice. Remember, in John chapter 1 says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, he is coming. This is the baby in the manger. This is the Savior of the world. This is the one that we talk about today. The story starts with a proclamation. In verses 1 through 5, the proclamation of Caesar Augustus. Let us read it together. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out, a command went out, a dogma, a command went out from Caesar Augustus, the emperor, that all the world would be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. That means he was, they were married, but they had not consummated the marriage, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So the proclamation, Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man on earth, gives a decree, and when the most powerful man on earth gives a decree, it is carried out. He is called the August one, the worshipped one. Now, I ask you this question. Who thinks he's in charge at this point? Caesar thinks he's in charge. And there's been many statues of, of, of Caesar. One of them is up here, kind of a nice-looking guy, all full of himself, has like billions of statues of himself. How great I art. That's his, that's his motto. He thinks he's in charge, okay? And remember, man makes, makes memorials to themselves. Man makes images of themselves. But who's really in charge? God is in charge. And you must remember this. When you look at current events, when you look at your life that seems like it's a mess, remember, God is in charge. It's not out of control. Caesar wants to take a census. Caesar wants to number his fighting men. Caesar wants to know how many people he really controls in his kingdom. 
Caesar wants to establish a tax base, and Caesars always want more money from the people to support their stuff. Caesars always want power, they always want control, they want more money, and they always want to be worshipped. And they want to be remembered. Caesars make images of themselves to be remembered. But you know what Caesar was? Caesar Augustus is no more than a fly in the ointment, a speck of dust on a sheet of paper, and is going to be used by God to fulfill his purpose. Now, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar. He was the greatest ruler that ever ruled on earth. Remember, there was four great kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. There's a future kingdom that would be coming, a ten-nation confederation that would be led by the Antichrist. That's on the horizon very soon to come. But of these kingdoms, Babylon was the most powerful. He was the head of gold in the statue of Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar was told by God that he needed to repent of his arrogance. And he did not. And God put him out the pasture for seven years. He grazed like an animal. His hair grew. His nails grew. At the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar says these words. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? I suggest to you that the one that is in charge is God. Sovereign God who rules. Who rules. Sometimes it seems out of control, but he is still in charge. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and, and like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God's plans are being worked out even we, when we do not understand it, especially when we do not under, understand it. You know, there's been many Caesars that have risen up. In our lifetime, we can remember a few. Stalin, gone. Lenin, gone. Hitler, gone. There was a guy called Pol Pot that raised up in Cambodia, killed over a million people, wanted to be, wanted to be king there. Kim Jong Young right now in North Korea. You know what's going to happen to him? One day he will be gone also. No more than a speck of dust on a sheet of paper, but we think, they think they're so great. God is in charge, not man. And God is in charge. He's going, to, he's going to orchestrate Mary and Joseph getting down to Bethlehem to have the baby Jesus. Now think about this. Mary is well advanced in pregnancy, and the edict comes down, go to your own city. And these people know exactly what that means. They have to go to where their lineage comes from. That means they have to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. That's a 70-mile trek. This is not get in the minivan, pack up the bags, and let's take an hour trip down to Bethlehem. This is several days, and it's on a donkey, or it's in a cart, or they're walking. It's not really told exactly what it is, but this is not an easy trip. It's dirty. It's dusty. There's not going to be any family there. There'll be no friends there. There'll be no help there. And I can imagine Mary thinking this, how can this happen now? How can this happen now? And why Bethlehem? Well, because that's where it was prophesied. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And never forget in your time of doubt, Mary's, Joseph's, us, and stick your name in there. God is in control. 
He is working things out according to the counsel of his will in Ephesians 1.11. He is indeed sovereign. He knows what's going on. And in your time when you think things are out of control and that you have been forgotten, God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. They had a 70-mile trip, dusty, dirty, probably hungry when they arrive. The place is more than likely booming because everybody has to go back to their hometown. That's why there was no room in the inn. And lo and behold, they get to Bethlehem and there's no room for Jesus. Verse 6 and 7. So it was while they were there that days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. No room for Jesus. No room for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus was an afterthought to these people. Jesus, it's the same thing today. He's an afterthought. I'll fit you in Jesus whenever I can fit you in. There's oftentimes no room for Jesus until we decide to give him just a little room, maybe on a special day like this when we celebrate his birth. The couple must have delayed in traveling to the last second because the city was packed and there was no room in the inn. I want to suggest to you something. We often see this picture of, uh, this picture of when, they, when they arrive. Now, I notice how nice it all looks. Their clothes are clean. There's a strange-looking dude here looking bewildered. That's the innkeeper. Can you imagine his frustration? The city is full. I imagine he's going with pace to the door. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And you see these people coming there all nice and clean and pure. I suggest to you that they are probably dirty. They're probably tired. They're probably hungry. And they just want a place to stay. And Mary is getting ready to pop. Okay? She's getting ready to have that child. It was not a clean place. So Mary goes into labor. There's no room in the inn. No clean accommodations. And I want you to think about this. There is no doctor available. There's not even a midwife. Even the Hebrews in Exodus had midwives. Mary didn't even have a midwife. There's certainly no epidural for the pain relief. Just Joseph. And you remember what Joseph was? He was a carpenter. That dude's hands are gnarly. I mean, he's going to be there trying to help with this delivery. He knows nothing about what's going on. There's no mom. There's no sisters. There's no help. It's just Joseph and Mary. And it's a cave. They end up in a cave. And it's a manger, a feeding trough that they place Jesus in. And it's not just a feeding trough. There's a place where there's animals and there's straw and there's smell. There is things that animals do in there that cause smell. And this is where Jesus is born. And I have a picture here of the, of the cave. This is the typical picture of what you see. Everything is nice and clean and pure and the little lambs are there. And I don't think it was quite this way, but at least it's kind of accurate because at least the these are pictures of the shepherds coming to the cave to see the baby. I'll make mention of that more in just a second. But the picture number two here, I want you to look at, that is definitely off. So the second picture is this. Who are these three guys? The wise men. How many wise men were there? There's a whole bunch of them. We don't know for sure, but it's probably more than three. And they have their gifts. Now notice who they're seeing. They're seeing the baby Jesus. They're seeing him in the in the cave, what's wrong with that picture? 
That's not right. Jesus was not a baby. They, was, they, they went when he was about two years old to a house in Bethlehem. They went to a house, and they went to the house, and they saw a pation, a child. But this is what you often see, and this is not accurate. So I just wanted to bring that up. But probably it was more like picture number three. And this is a, this is a beautiful picture. Can you just look at the toddler Jesus and the wise men so mesmerized with him? I mean, that, that is a cool picture. I, I, I like that one. You would not think that God becoming a man would occur the way that it occurred. You would not have done it this way for your child. If you were God, you would not have done it this way. You would have trumpets blowing on the, on the castle top. You would have had people running through the streets and, and heralding that the king is coming. There's no maidservants. There's no midwives. There's no one there to assist to, to clean up the surroundings. God did not do it that way. Now, God became a man like the commonest of men in a less than common place, in a less than common conditions. That's how God came. But this was the perfect place for Jesus to be born. You see, he came not only for kings and queens and princes, but he came for the common man. And he came to save all men from their sins. He came to the, all of us to save us from our sins. See, God does not do things the way that we think he should do things. He does not. The prophet Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, when he said, For your thoughts are not my thoughts, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God does not do things the way that we think he should. Psalm 50, verse 21, when we think that God's just a little bit bigger than us, you thought I was altogether like you. Well, God is not like us. He is holy. He is God. He is all-knowing. And he does what is right all the time. God simply does not do things the way that we think he should do things. Who would have thought that earth, humanity, the inn in Bethlehem, would have no room for Jesus, God's Son. God knew it would be this way. Nothing took him by surprise. The baby is born. There is no announcement from the hierarchy of Israel, but there's an announcement that gets made to the shepherds. In verse 8 through 12, the angels announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Now there were in the same country, Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I want to give you some background on shepherds. Shepherds were looked down on in Israel. In my research, I discovered this. At the time of Jesus, this is a quote, shepherding had not just lost its widespread appeal, it eventually forfeited its social acceptability. Some shepherds earned their poor reputations, but others became victims of cruel stereotypes they were prejudiced against. The religious leaders, the elite, maligned, and the shepherds maligned the shepherd's good's name. Rabbis banned pasturing sheep and goats in Israel 
except on desert plains. In the Mishnah, which is the Jewish written oral law, reflects this prejudice. Belittling shepherd, by using belittling terms, they called them incompetent. No one should ever feel obligated to rescue or to help a shepherd. This gentleman named Joachim Jeremias wrote a book, Jerusalem at the Time of Jesus. He says this, The fact that the shepherds were deprived of all civil rights, they could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted in court as witnesses. There was extreme prejudice. Religious leaders had a caste system, and the shepherds were at the very bottom. They were the worst of the worst. It is into this social context of religious snobbery and class prejudice that God's Son stepped forth. And how surprising and significant, how amazingly significant, that Father God had handpicked lowly, unpretentious shepherds to first hear the joyous news, it's a boy, and he's the Messiah. Now, I want to just give you the picture of what I found about the shepherds. Now, the resplendent glory of God these guys know nothing about anything but shepherding. They've gone out, they've done their duty, and God appears, the glory of God appears, and an angel appears. Now just try to process this, because this is a stunning moment in these guys' lives, a stunning moment. Remember, God does not do things the way that we think he should do them. God breaks his silence in an amazing way, and his glory and his light shines on the shepherds of all people. They are the ones that receive the announcement that Jesus Christ is born. Think about this appearance in verses 8 through 10. It was an angel, and I like to look at this angel as probably Gabriel. He was involved in everything else that was, that was going on in the story. And the glory of the Lord. And then they have fear, abject fear. You bet there's abject fear. It's pitch dark out there. Maybe there's stars. It's a starry night. And this Shekinah glory of God comes down, and an angel comes down. You bet there's fear. The resplendent glory of God, the light, the Shekinah glory of God, absent from Israel, from Ezekiel chapter 8, when the nation of Israel went into Babylonian captivity, the glory of God departed. God's glory would not go into Babylonian captivity with his rebellious people. And so the light had left Israel. And now the light is returning, and it first appears to these shepherds. The light of the world is coming in. John 1.9 calls it the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. In John chapter 1, verse 4, we read this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Our God, the announcement came with the glory of God to the shepherds. And the light of the world is coming in. The one that gives the true light, that gives light to every man coming into the world. Everyone knows. Everyone knows somehow within their being that God is real. That he is there. The heavens declare the glory of God. Our conscience bears witness to God. The cross bears witness to God. The complexity of life bears witness to God the continuation of the Jewish people. A miracle of miracles bears witness to God. There is a God. After 400 years of darkness, the light of the world comes. And the angel speaks, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. Yeah, blasting light, angel appearance. The shepherds were the first ones to hear that the Messiah had come. The long-awaited deliverer of Israel was here, the Savior of the world. And they, they said, he's going to be called Christ the Lord is born. Christ the Lord is born. That was their message. Christ the Lord is born. Christos Kurios is born. Christ, Christos, the anointed one. In Hebrew, we call him the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the Lord, Kurios, master, ruler, owner. Christ, the anointed one. He was the only one that was ever anointed. Remember, in Israel, there are three, three groups of people that were anointed. Prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets, priests, and kings. Melchizedek, everyone only had one of those offices except Melchizedek, who was a type of Christ written about in the book of Genesis in the time of Abraham, who was a king priest. But Jesus held all three offices of prophets, priest, and king. He occupied all three. So Jesus came as a prophet. He came speaking the word of God to the people. He said, I do not speak on my own. I speak the word of God. Now, this is very important because today we have many people that claim to be prophets. Some people are training to be prophets, and they are not 100% accurate. These are called false prophets. You do not listen to them. A true prophet is 100% accurate. Jesus came as a prophet. In the Gospels, he is called a prophet. Matthew 21, 11, Luke 7, 16. Jesus said these words in John 12, 49. I have not spoken on my own authority, even though he's the second person of the Trinity, even though he is the Son of God, even though he had all authority of the Godhead, he sublimated that authority, he became a man while he was on earth, God incarnate, God in flesh. I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, Moses is told there's going to be another prophet like, G like him that is coming. It's going to be Jesus. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded him. Jesus now, right now, his position right now is as high priest. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. In Hebrews 2.17, Hebrews 4.14, looking in Hebrews 12.2, remember we went through this verse very strongly. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of, God, of the throne of God. He is our high priest. Why is that significant? Because now we have a high priest who we can come boldly before in Hebrews 4.16 with our petitions and our time of, of, of time of duress, seeking grace and mercy in our time of need. And we have our Jesus hearing, hearing us. And he is interceding on our behalf. And finally, he is going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19.16. The shepherds had the ultimate privilege of seeing Jesus as a newborn baby. This baby would one day go from a baby to die for their sins, a brutal death. He'd be buried, and three days later he would raise from the dead a victory over the grave and a victory over Satan. Remember, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And he, should, and he would ascend to heaven and assume his position as high priest, and that is what he is doing now. But folks, soon... And very soon, he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It'll be an eternal kingdom. 
And this is just a side note. This word, this Christ the Lord, it's the only time, one time it's used in the New Testament. Christos kurios, one time. And it's used at this special time when he was born. A special title for a special person at a special time, at the fullness of time, at the perfect time. God sent his son, Christos kurios. He came to the earth, and you know what he came for? He came for you. He came for us. He came for us. You know what happens when that message is brought forth? Verse 13 and 14, all of heaven breaks out in joyous praise. The result of this announcement is everything breaks out in joyous praise. And suddenly there was with the angel. It goes from one angel to a multitude of angels, and it says a heavenly host. You know what a host is? That's armies. Jehovah said both, the God of armies. This is an army of angels. And it just bursts forth, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Their message, their message resonates for all people for all time. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Glory, the creator of the universe, has come to earth. The Prince of Peace is here. The only one, the only one who can bring peace between God and man. The only mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. We see in 1 Timothy 2.5 where it says, For there is one God and one mediator, one messites, one go-between, between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And peace with God is the only way to bring into a person's life the peace of God. You must first have peace with God to have the peace of God. And Jesus is indeed the Prince of Peace. That word peace, thinking about peace, there's a Greek word that is irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, and it means the absence of strife and tranquility. But I think shalom, the Hebrew word shalom, describes it more accurately. It means health, security, tranquility, complete harmony, and fulfillment. Do you know that that is how we were to live before the fall came? Before sin came into the world? Peace was taken away from humanity with the fall of man and sin. And Jesus breaks in to man's diseased state, his troubled state, and he brings peace. And only the Prince of Peace can bring real peace in the chaos of life on earth. He's the only one that can do it. Buddha can't do it. Allah can't do it. All the billions of Hindu gods can't do it. Krishna can't do it. Jesus Christ is the one that can do it. it ref the Prince of Peace. Jesus Messiah himself is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9.6. In Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know what that means? He made peace between man and God because man had rebelled against God. Man was at war with God. And Jesus brought peace between man and God for whoever believes that he died in their place. They can have peace with God, no longer at war with God. It refers to peace we have with God by believing in Jesus Messiah. It refers to the peace of God all believers can have in any situation on earth if we trust in Jesus Christ. 
Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is one of the most famous verses for this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is the promise we have. That's what Jesus brings to us. And it also refers to the peace of Christ in our future kingdom. In Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Only Jesus can break into the chaos of a sin-filled earth and bring the peace of God that passes all understanding to humanity. Peace is available to anybody who will simply believe and receive the Prince of Peace. And I just look at this. The heavenly host of armies is applauding glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I could almost just, just burst out in, in, into praise and, and glory and all of us just clap with praise for the Prince of Peace who has come to save us from our sins. Now once the Prince of Peace, once this glorious news was given, you know what these shepherds did? They go home and they just hide it to themselves. And oh, I had this great moment with God and it was such a treasure. No, no, you know what they did? They went and they checked it out. They went and they checked it out. When Jesus breaks into your chaos and he brings peace with God and the peace of God that passes all understanding comes all over your being, you go and tell everyone, verse 15 through 20, go and tell everyone the story of Jesus. Listen. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, I don't know what they said to one another, but I would have said, wow, what a moment. What a moment. Did you see that? Did you hear, you know, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. There's no dawdling. When you have a moment with God like this, there's no dawdling. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, just like they were told. Now when they had seen him, they made known widely the saying which was told them concerning the child. They went and told everybody. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Oh, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, thought about them deeply. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. This was a day like no other day in the history of earth, and these shepherds experienced it. And it is indelibly imprinted on their beings for the rest of their life. Their moment with God will be shared with everybody they come in contact with. This is not something you hide under a bushel. This is something you share with everybody. In the Old Testament, we have a come and see faith. Come and see. Come and see the temple. Come to Jerusalem and see, see the city of God. See the wonders of the temple. See the sacrificial system. Come to Jerusalem for the feast. It was a come and see. See the priest system. But with the coming of Jesus Christ, the message is now, go and tell. You have a life-saving message. Go and tell everyone the story of Jesus. Go and tell everyone about the Savior of the world. Do not hide your light under the canopy of shyness. Oh, I can't say anything because I'm shy. My religion is personal. It's just private. Every politician says this. Of feeling weird, embarrassment of looking like a nut in the culture. Go and tell everyone the story of Jesus and his love. You know why? Because Jesus told us to do this. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he says, Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you. And he says this, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of the earth age. That includes us. It wasn't just a message to the disciples. It's to everyone that is a follower of the Lord Jesus. We go and tell them the story of Jesus. The shepherds went to Bethlehem with haste in verse 15 and 16. Folks, that's our marching orders. God speaks to us, we go with haste. The shepherds saw the baby and they told others. And I don't think that they went with a, well, there was this thing that happened in the field and this light, it was like a big old flashlight went off. No, you think they were exuberant? You think they're just, yeah, they went with some, that's how we go. We don't go with blah. We go with exuberant and tell people about the Savior. You go and tell. And those who heard the story marvel. It's the result of people telling about the, the true story of Jesus. And then Mary pondered these things. She thought deeply about these things. The wonderment that she has. Now remember, Mary is probably 15 years old thereabout. 15. 15, okay? And a lot has happened to her in a short period of time. Think about it. Gabriel came and visited her and says, hey, you're going to have a baby even though you haven't known a man. That's shock and awe right there. The Holy Spirit's going to be involved in this. Then, then she had to deal with Joseph's response. Joseph, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine Joseph's response? Then she had to deal with, the Scripture doesn't say this, but she was in a village, and it's a small community. What do you think happened in that village? Did you see what happened to Mary? Did you see what her story is? I can't believe she's trying to put it off on that. And remember, Nazareth was a military town. In a military town, you have soldiers. And what are soldiers looking for? Women. And I bet this story went around that, oh, she was with a soldier or somebody like that. I'll bet you it did. And she had to live through that. Then she had to go through the, oh, no, not now Caesar decree. You mean we have to go to Bethlehem now? Then she had to travel. And then there's no room in the end. How, why is, how is this working out this way? And then she just has the baby, and the shepherds crash the birth. I mean, here they come. They just show up, and they're celebrating, and she's just finished with the whole thing. I mean, this is... She had to ponder these things in her heart. And I'll tell you, what did this all mean to her, and what does this all mean to me? This story of Jesus' birth. In conclusion, the Christmas story, 2017, God became a man. Think about this. The Christmas story has been told for over 2,000 years. And I would urge all of us to be mindful of God's gift to humanity for the coming year. This birth was like no other. God became a man and changed everything. And he did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. Chuck Swindoll in his book, A Promise Kept, says this, quote, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the angelic realm, all gazed upon incarnate deity. God becoming flesh. The newborn Jesus existed in eternity past as God the Son. He was co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. However, Jesus relinquished the privileges and pleasures of his existence in heaven when he took upon himself the limitations of humanity. And he did it for you. 
Think about this. God, perfect community in heaven, perfect shalom in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There was no need to have humans made for company. They were totally complete in themselves. Totally complete in themselves. And then Jesus comes to earth, and for the first time in eternity, the first time in everdom, Jesus gets a cold. Jesus has the flu. Jesus probably experienced a diaper rash. He stubbed his toe. He bruised his knees. He experienced ridicule. I bet you he was degraded. As a matter of fact, I know he was degraded. There were constant demonic attempts at his life. Brothers and sisters who did not particularly like him made his life probably a little difficult. Jesus never experienced any of these aspects of sin in the Godhead in eternity past. Yet he came and he lived just like one of us, and he did it for us. He did it for us. He experienced everything just like us. He was tempted in every way just like us. In emptying himself, Jesus voluntarily set aside his privileges of life as he had known it. His existence as it was perfect. Everything that he had enjoyed, he released his right to that kind of life. And he says to the Father, I will go for them. I will go for them. And he came to earth. He took the form of a bondservant. He didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. That's what he said. He came in the likeness of men. He would live a perfect life, and he would suffer a criminal's death. And as a result, God the Father highly exalted him, and one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will do it volitionally. We will do it willingly. We will willingly throw ourselves down before our God and say, thank you, Jesus, for eternity. But everyone that has refused said, I will live my life my way. Everyone that is of Adam and Eve, when they said, I will do things my way, every demon, every demonic spirit, every angel, everything will bow before our Lord Jesus Christ one day and declare that he is Lord. It's all about his glory, folks. What a plan. What an execution. What a perfect, awesome wrapping. The God-man, Jesus, an undiminished deity and true humanity. Two distinct natures in one person forever. Folks, that's the baby in the manger. This is the Christmas story of God becoming a man. May we carry this memory of God becoming a man through 2018. And remember this, I don't care what you go through this year. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I don't know what this year will bring to you. Some of it will be your best year ever. And some of it will be your worst year ever. And either way, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. May we carry this memory of God becoming a man through this year. And I will finish with this. Merry Christmas to all. And to all a good night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time.
Thank you for the gift of your son. What a perfect wrapping, coming in a perfect way, at a perfect time, to live a perfect life, to die for imperfect people. Lord, we are sinners in need of a Savior. Each one of us have sinned and we have gone our own way. We have rejected you and said, no, I will have my way, Lord. If I can fit you in a little here or a little there, that's okay. I will have my way. I will be my own God. I will rule. I will rule. And Lord, thank you for the day that you came into us that do believe and said, and we realized we can't rule anything, that we need you, Lord, more than we need anything in life. And we willingly bow before you and say we accept you and believe you, Jesus, that you died in our stead. We believe that you were buried and we believe that you rose again from the dead. And you died and took all of my sins upon yourself. What a wonderful day that was for each one of us when we believed that message. I pray today for people here today that don't know the Lord Jesus, that this would be the day, the greatest Christmas of their life, when they say, yes, I believe you died for me, Lord Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. Thank you for this story, Lord. It never grows old. The birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for the gift of life. In Jesus' name, amen.